Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports soccer podcast. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, NWSL analyst and broadcaster. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the 2021 NWSL Awards, MVP, Defender of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Goalkeeper of the Year, and Coach of the Year candidates. But before we get into all that, a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. You can also head on over to our YouTube page and hit subscribe to never miss a new video interview or whenever we go live. Plus, you can catch great extended NWSL highlights and more. Visit YouTube.com slash Attacking Third. Lisa, how are you doing today? Sandra, I am doing great. I am doing great. I love that we get to chat about these awards. And these are awards by the NWSL, by the league that they put out. Um And it's tough. I mean, looking over these lists, it's really tough because this regular season for the league was fantastic. Good talent. A lot went into it. Um, So I am good and I am pumped to talk about this. How are you today? I'm I'm right there with you, matching the energy. I'm I'm hyped to talk about this type of stuff. You know, it's we cover a team sport, we cover soccer, uh, but this is the opportunity for some individual awards uh, to come into play, and uh, they typically come around this time during sort of the post uh, regular season, sort of in the mix of the NWSL playoff, which the championship is coming up. It's going to be taking place on November 20th at Lynn Family Stadium in Louisville, Kentucky, with kickoff at 12 noon Eastern. It's going to air on CBS and internationally on Twitch. You can get your tickets at nwslsoccer.com slash championship. I say we hop right into it, Lisa. Let's give a little background. I'm going to give a little background to our listeners here, so maybe if they're not privy um, to how sort of the the candidate list comes into play, there's two rounds of of voting that takes place for these uh, specific individual awards. The NWSL puts out a list of five awards that are for MVP, Defender of the Year, Goalkeeper, Rookie, and Coach of the Year. And a preliminary round of voting, a preliminary round of voting uh, consists of players, uh, owners, general managers, coaches, and the media to determine uh, a final candidate list. And that's typically broken down kind of half and half. So it's 50% players, 25% between the owners, the GMs, and the coaches, and 25% amongst the media. So once all of those are sort of tallied up and spread out, the voting is then open to the public. So it's all of those five individual awards, plus the opportunity to vote on a best 11 and a best 11 second team. And then this is the second round where fans are allowed uh, a say in the vote. So things are ironed out a little bit differently. It's still 50% weight of the vote for players, uh, but it's 20% for the owners, uh, general managers and coaches and 20% for media and fans have a temp, uh, 10% cut of the pie there. So uh, the way things shook out, Let's maybe just jump in candidate by candidate. We thought it would be fun mm-hmm. to sort of come on here, take a look at each category, take a look at the candidates in front of us, and maybe give our own picks, right? Or talk about a little bit of maybe some snubs that we thought, right, Lisa? We just get to give our opinions of what the league did, and I am very excited. <laughs> it's delightful to come on here and attacking there to be able to discuss all that with you. We're we're gonna start with defender of the year because we've we've tried to be pretty vocal about that before in the past lisa we are huge fans of defenders and goalkeepers we love defense on this show so for defender of the year the final candidate list shook out as followed it has alana cook lorraine caprice didasco new jersey new york gotham fc sarah gordon chicago red stars 
Emily Mangus, Portland Thorns FC, and Carson Pickett, North Carolina Courage. So those are the five candidates for Defender of the Year. I recently did a piece, Lisa. It's it's out on CBSSports.com right now. I'll I'll also just sort of speak about my picks there, like adjacent to what we're doing here. Uh, but I would you're you're a former defender yourself. I want to hear who you're going for with this candidate list on, on Defender of the Year. A lot of good picks. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of what I said at the top of this show that. This league was so good and the teams were really good. And really, we saw a lot of players kind of come into their own, especially after 2020, which like a a bit of a wash in the, the terms of players getting time and consistent playing time. So the list and the nominees, pretty pleased with, pretty happy with. There's none there that I was super gut wrenched that we didn't see a defender name. Um, but when I do look at this list, it's a defender of the year. And in the NWSL, there are a lot of teams that play wingback defenders or outside backs that really get forward, and their main job is to get up the field and send crosses in. Yes, they're still listed as a defender, but for someone like Caprice Didasco, who has, what, the most assists on Gotham because of being an outside back, like, that is fantastic for how the team works, but it kind of knocks her off my defender of the year list because of that. And same goes for Carson Pickett. Great player, great job at doing the role that she is told to do. Get up the flanks, win the ball back higher up the field and send crosses into the box. Another player with a lot of assists on the season. So ultimately, uh, right off the bat, Caprice Tidasco and Carson Pickett just off the table for me in in this round. Um, I'm giving you guys like just a little bit of my thought process looking at these. So then we have Alana Cook, Emily Mengis, and Sarah Gordon left on this list. Alana Cook didn't stand out to me that much this year. She just didn't. When I saw her name, I was like, okay, good candidate, good defender, but eh, I don't remember ever being like, wow, Alana Cook, incredible stuff, great job. She was very consistent all year, which is great, but nothing that really stood out to me. So then my final two candidates were um, Emily Mangus and Sarah Gordon. And I went back and forth between these two players a lot. Mangus was consistent all year with her skill. She wasn't consistent in her playing time, um, but that could be because Portland has a lot of depth in their defender position. Whereas Sarah Gordon, she was really, really consistent with her playing time. We know she won Iron Woman, meaning she played every single minute of the regular season. Um, but not always consistent with her play at the start of the season. She made more mistakes than she did at the end of the season, but she always got the start and she always played 90. And maybe that's because there was a lack of depth at the defender position for Chicago. So kind of weighing those options back and forth. Mengus is a fantastic one V one defender. She has really good distribution of the ball. Um, She does a lot really, really well in the back line. However, I think Sarah Gordon should win defender of the year. Um, Because she played every minute of the year, she was able to grow more as a player. And Sarah Gordon was faced with a lot of adversity in her center back position, namely because her starting goalkeeper was out with injury for most of the year and her starting defensive midfielder, Julie Ertz, was out for most of the year due to injury. So that puts a lot more pressure on the center backs and that center back being Sarah Gordon in this role. Um, She can 1v1 defend. She can distribute the ball. She can be quick. She can win the ball back higher up the field. She can break up plays. And she had to do it all with different players in and around her that aren't their starting players that Chicago wants to have. So ultimately for me, Sarah, Sarah Gordon, defender of the year, should win. I love to hear it because, you know, I'm in agreement with you. I wrote I, I wrote it out. I put it out there. I, I put the nominees. I, I went with the pick of Sarah Gordon. And I, I think maybe, you know, another angle that we're going to probably be talking about throughout these awards is, is the fact that there are a ton of great candidates on, yes. on the list. And there are arguments to be made for each one. But there are also like counter arguments, arguments to be made. And I'm not in disagreement with you for some of these other ones. Alana Cook, I think similar to a lot of the other players, had a much stronger second half of the season mm-hmm. versus uh, her first half when she made her arrival to O.L. Reign, kind of getting her footing and her, her legs under her, getting readjusted really, I think, to American League play. Um, and then finally sort of getting all that together and sort of putting together more consistent performances 
for this all ranking down the second half a stretch of the season, which we've seen a lot from from a lot of their individual players on on that rain side. Um, and then I, I'm in agreement with you on the um, the argument about defender of the year when you have when you're looking at uh, outside backs. It's, it's very rare when you have an outside back that has uh, such sort of staunch like defensive numbers because they are predominantly getting so involved in the attack. Uh, and it's rare when you sort of have that type of fullback who maybe really is sort of 50 50 that can really sort of a both provide for you in the attack and B really provide a lot of um, defensive coverage. And I think maybe when we're looking at halves of seasons, uh, maybe you have somebody like a Carson Pickett that had a very strong first half and, and maybe like a, a solid second half, but maybe not as strong as the first. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's all these different things to sort of look at. And then obviously I think maybe a runner up in my, my opinion will maybe be somebody like a Mangus, but there is something where you look at like the, the, the plate of work in front of you and the games where we're limited sort of having to navigate um, some injuries early on. And and for all the four reasons that you've mentioned already, I'm going to echo similarly for, for Sarah Gordon having, um, you know, being in the lead for, for this award. Uh, I think the biggest thing too, that you highlighted and touched on was maybe some of that rotation in, in that back line and that she was always the anchor of that back line, no matter who was slotting in beside her, whether, I mean, and you're talking about the entire line, whether it was at the outside back positions um, between Casey Kruger uh, Aaron Wright or Tatum Malazzo, the rookie who got a lot of time this year, uh, or even just in that center uh, center back duo pairing uh, with Tierna Davidson off uh, during the Olympics for international duty. And Kayla Sharples kind of slotting into that role. So no matter who was alongside her, Gordon was tasked with sort of being that more vocal, present, organized type of center back in that role. So she's uh, had a lot to, to take on this year. Her her 201 recoveries ranked first in the league among all center backs. That was huge for me in sort of giving her the edge for Because, you know, Lisa, we love to put numbers um, on things here. And, you know, she's – I think when you look at a player like Sarah Gordon in the center back position, she's not the center back that has the height. She's not the tall – center back uh but this center back who's not as tall as all the other ones has a almost a 61 percent tackle success rate which allows her to sort of uh you know add to her game she loves taking on attackers 1v1 and she's really sort of become this extra factor that the attackers on the uh, opposition are really sort of looking at like how can we sort of navigate around this type of player and when you have to start preparing and game planning for the other team's center back, I think that's a huge compliment to uh, to the defense and that's a specific center back. So I'm in agreement with you. I think it's Sarah Gordon all the way uh, for this one. Let's let's move on uh, to to the next uh, award that we want to chat on a little bit. We're sticking with the defensive side of things. We love goalkeepers just as much as we enjoy uh, defenders. And for goalkeeper of the year, I think this is a good. I think this is a good time to maybe bring this this small gripe that I have uh, with this one. And it's not it's maybe not as obvious as people think it's going to be if you if you if you did read that piece. But my gripe isn't just the snub that we're going to get into that Lisa and I are going to get into here. But something that I don't get on this one, Lisa, is that there are three candidates mm-hmm. why of the year why the question is i don't know why we don't have answers for that but it is only three candidates for goalkeeper of the year as opposed to some of the other categories uh for the individual awards but defender of the year one of those mvp another one where you can have um five selections but for goalkeeper it is three and uh the nominees are as follows it's bella bigsby for portland thorns fc aubrey bledsoe for washington spirit and kaylin sheridan New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC. And I'll let you go first on the last one, Lisa. I would like to go first on this one. First things first, I know you and I were a little bit like floored that Casey Murphy did not make the cut for goalkeeper of the year. But with the candidates in front of us, the selection that I'm going with is Aubrey Bledsoe. I've just been so impressed with her performances in the back line for this Washington spirit side. You know, we we spoke to Tegan McGrady ahead of that semifinal match. And she said that they believe that their defense was has been overlooked a bit mm-hmm. this year. And she's not wrong. I think a huge part of it has to do with Aubrey Bledsoe in that back net. Uh, had a great head-to-head battle with Casey Murphy in that quarterfinal. And she's a, 
a goalkeeper that is really good in possession for this team, for this the Washington Spirit, when we saw them in times wanting to sort of be this team that retains the ball. And when you want to play out of the back a little bit, sometimes you got to guess what? You got to have a goalkeeper that is confident in playing out of the back. That is decent in distribution. Um, and this was a goalkeeper for me that sort of, uh, you know, hit all of those areas. So when I was looking at who I was going uh, to pick for for goalkeeper of the year, I thought, you know what? For me, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, Aubrey Bledsoe. You know, she's uh, she had multiple starts for for the team this year, twenty three for for the club in the regular season, and uh, you know her seventy six saves during the regular season gave her fourth for for the league this year. So I just uh, I thought it uh, warranted a lot, and I think also the offensive side of the ball, which is an underrated thing for goalkeepers, I think was also something that was equally impressive. So I'm, I'm giving it to her. And I, if, if it was possible to give her a runner up, it, it would have been uh, Casey Murphy or vice versa. How about you? you got so that? I want to ask before I get into mine, yeah. you mentioned only three goalkeepers picked, which yeah, I was yeah. a little shocked as well. When there are 10 teams, we saw many different goalkeepers throughout teams. Who else would you have liked to see nominated for goalkeeper of the year? Yes. Uh, I'm good with these selections, actually. Okay. I think I think if I think Bella Bixby's a really really good one to have. I, I Kaylin Sheridan, I'll I'll put myself out there, was on my ballot as well. Casey Murphy, uh, I would honestly I would also maybe even include somebody like an Adriana French. I think people during these type of years mm-hmm. look at the cycle in front of them and you know was this player available for X amount of time? Did injury play a factor? You know, but the truth is is that Adriana French uh, was the goalkeeper for Portland Thorns. And she had a very good season for two teams. And that's the truth. Uh, before heading off to, uh, you know, Olympic duty with the United States Women's National Team, holding things down for Portland Thorns before going off and doing that. And upon her return, there was an eventual trade that was made where she went home to Kansas City and played for, for Kansas City Current to close out the season. And you know what? That second half of the season for Casey Current was so, so impressive in which yeah. they went on a remarkable home, like undefeated home streak um, and did just a lot of good things. You could just sort of see what the arrival of that type of level of player can do, you know, perhaps for for a new back line that, you know, didn't have a lot of experience, uh, you know, there. So but I, I would have argued maybe if there if there was a possibility to have five candidates here. I would have put I would have included Murphy with the three that are already on there because mm-hmm. I'm fine with the three that are on there. Yeah. I'm surprised that there weren't others. Um, so I would have included if there's five, I would have included Murphy and I would have made an argument for French as well. Yeah, I just wanted to pick your brain on that one. I agree. Casey Murphy got snubbed and not being included in this ballot. Um, I also agree with A.D. French. I would have made an argument to have her here as well. It's it's interesting, though, because Michelle Bedos is another goalkeeper that comes to mind um, at Racing Louisville who had a really good season individually. I mean, no, Racing Louisville didn't have the best season, but they were new in the league. They had a lot of room to grow and they had a lot of uh, progress to make. Uh, But I think Michelle Betos actually had a great season despite everything that was happening with Racing Louisville and, and the team that she had in front of her. That being said, we do have three goalkeepers that were nominated in Bella Bigsby, Aubrey Bledsoe, Kaylin Sheridan. Um, my, I, I would have voted for Casey Murphy, not on this list, um, but uh, Bella Bigsby is the first name that I was like, yes, um, it stands out for me. She wins this category for sure. And one of the biggest reasons that she wins this category for me is because she didn't see the field the first two months of the season. She didn't. She was playing behind Adriana French um, and Mark Parsons always said at Portland, he was like, I have two starting goalkeepers and one of them is sitting on the bench and it kills me. He hated that. He was like any other team, both of them would be starting. And we saw that happen because as soon as French went to the Olympics, then she came back and she got traded. Belle Bigsby never missed a beat. She stayed on the field um, and proved how good that she is nine clean sheets on the season after not playing the first two months, she started 16 games after that, every game she played in, she started 16. Um, And I think that that struggle of being the goalkeeper that's training so hard and your coach is saying, Hey, you'd be starting at any other team if you were there, but you're with us. So you're sitting on the bench. 
is so hard mentally. And the fact that and the fact that Bigsby could continue to push through that, continue to get better every day, continue to see the field, um, and then ultimately get her start knowing that France was going to the Olympics and then keep it and uh, honestly like force that trade a little bit because Parsons knew he wasn't going to miss a beat in his in, in between the sticks in goal by losing French and having Bigsby step in. Uh, so I picked Bella Bigsby to win goalkeeper of the year in these awards. I love it. I like that we're going through through these awards and like the first two that we do, we we both agree on one and then we sort of gave different picks for for goalkeeper of the year. But even though we had different picks for goalkeeper of the year, there's still a lot of like similar energy yes. about the, 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 the goalkeepers that are missing and stuff like that. I mean, so good I, candidates I'm though. like Bledsoe is a great candidate. I think Sheridan Absolutely. is a really good candidate, but um, going to the Olympics, I think that I thought I thought Didi Heritage did a great job. Oh my god! Yes, There's no drop off in level there at Gotham. Um, I mean, great candidates, but we have there to are, pick one. There are absolutely there's fantastic goalkeepers uh, in NWSL. There's fantastic goalkeepers that are coming up um, soon through the draft. Quite quite frankly, um, so I'm excited to see the league expand a bit and uh, maybe get a, a new look at some some more some more some more goalkeepers in the future, but uh, that's two down. We've got three more to go, Lisa. So let's get to those three after a quick break. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H track, all wheel drive and three row seating. My whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's keep it moving. Coach of the year. Let's take a look at the candidates. It is Laura Harvey from Oil Rain, Scott Parkinson, New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC, and Mark Parsons for Portland Thorns FC. Again, another one of these uh, categories that only has uh, three selections. It's, uh, that's not new. Uh, I, I believe in, in years prior there have been only three and then five for, for some of the other ones. But, you know, we're, we're on here. This is this is our show, so we're, of course, going to make the case to have more more nominees, broaden, broaden the ballot a little bit, make it interesting. But uh, l- let's take a look at this one. I, w- I went first with the pick uh, for goalkeeper. I'm going to swing it back your way, Lisa. Laura Harvey, Scott Parkinson, Mark Parson, who's your pick and why? Um, so this was tricky. This was really, really tricky. We talked about only having three nominees for coach of the year. Um, remember so many coaches left this year. Um, and that being said, two of the coaches that stepped into the head coaching position, Laura Harvey and Scott Parkinson are on this ballot, not even having a full season under them. They were able to make a huge impact. So that is Fantastic. Those those are the things that I look at right away. And I'm like, yes, Scott Parkinson came in and made a difference. Now, he had a very, very limited amount of time with Gotham. Um, and and I don't think Freya Coombe did a bad job with Gotham. So it's not like he came in and had to pick up all of these pieces that were falling apart. It was more just like, okay, like let's keep the train moving. He did get them into the postseason, um, but ultimately not the front runner for me, Scott Parkinson. And you look at Laura Harvey and Mark Parsons. Harvey, a, a, a coach that came in after the Olympics, um, and she was with OL Reign before when it was called Seattle Reign FC from 2013 to 2017. Uh, during that time, she won Coach of the Year twice, heads up. So she knows what she's doing, and she knows what she's doing at that team specifically. Um, But after Harvey came in, they lost one to Kansas City, and then they went on an eight-game undefeated streak. 
as a new coach coming in and a lot of new players coming in. That's when um, all of the French talent came in with Marjan and Eugenie Le Sommer. Uh, Rose Lavelle was back, Megan Rapino back from the Olympics. Um, and Laura Harvey had a lot of work to do, having all of this individual talent and finding the ways to make it fit on the field and be successful. Moving Sofia Huerta from midfield to outside back, we saw the tactical and fundamental changes that Laura Harvey was doing with her squad that make her a really, really good candidate. Um, ultimately, Oil Rain finished numbers two in the regular season standings. Like that is huge. They get a trip automatically to the semifinals in the postseason. Um, that's a lot. That's big gold stars for Laura Harvey. However, Mark Parsons is the coach of the year for me. I, I pick him through and through because although Laura Harvey has all these great accolades that we could see happening on the pitch um, in, in bringing the great players together and making them work, um, moving Sofia Huerta around, Mark Parsons, his team was good every single day, no matter how many Olympians they lost throughout the summer, no matter how many players got injured and what happened, he had the pieces to make it work. And I think that having a bench as deep as Mark Parsons has and as Portland has is a really big testament to the coaching because that means that every day in training, it's not starters against non-starters. It's mixed up. And because of that, it keeps everyone's level really, really high. Um, also a factor that came into this early, early, early in the season, like May 20th or so, Mark Parsons announced that he was leaving at the end of the regular season or at the end of the 2021 season, excuse me, um, to go coach internationally with the Netherlands. That can be something that can affect a coach, can affect a team, can affect an organization. And instead of that happening in Portland and the players and the community and the city really rallied around Mark Parsons, showing how much they love him, how much great success they want for him to come after the thorns. Um, and that could have deterred him or the players, and it didn't. It actually made them stronger, I think, because every day it was like, let's do this for Mark. Let's do this for Parsons, and then let's get this win. Uh, so I picked Mark Parsons. Uh, go out with a bang uh, after the his last year with Portland Thorns and, and having all the young players that he brought in and just creating the culture at Portland that he has. I pick Mark Parsons. Sandra, who do you have between our, our three coaches for coach of the year? I'm also going with Mark Parsons mm -hmm. in this one. And, and again, this is a, this is a candidate list that I look at and I think like, there's, once again, you're making cases for, for all of these coaches. Um, and there are strong cases for, for each of them. Um, but, Two of them had limited time, you know, with with their clubs this year. There can also be a further argument on the Gotham side that Freya Kuhn perhaps deserves a little bit of attention for what happened with Gotham FC. Sort of, you know, having that runner-up finish yeah. in the 2021 Challenge Cup, uh, having the team in, in a 5-6-3 record to start the season, you know, ultimately having 14 games with them versus Parkinson's 10, you know, or so matches with the team. Um, and there's an argument to, to be made there. You know, there there could have been maybe two coaches on this list for for Gotham uh, sp specifically, but that's that's not how it shook out. It came down to the three. Uh, but I think, again, for so many of the reasons that you've already mentioned for Mark Parsons are are similar ones that I'm going with as well. I think maybe I'll just add that in between all that, there's maybe this is a bit of a, a coach of the year award that's been in the making uh, some a little bit because um, you know this is this is a regular season uh, in 2021 that all of these players have been participating in for the first time since 2019. Uh, there was a you know the the height of the pandemic that that rocked everybody globally in particular the league in which there was no regular season for 2020. And I think a lot of people, because of that, it maybe sort of forget like this progression that Mark Parsons has sort of made with this club over these last, um, you know, 18 months or so. But, you know, there was a bit of a max exodus from that 2019 Portland Thorns roster. In some capacity, there were players who made new signings overseas or they did not re-sign with the club and there were trades that were made. It, we saw the departure of Margaret Purse uh, and the arrival of, of, of Rocky Rodriguez. Um you know, even having somebody like Angela Salem picking her specifically in a dispersal draft in 2018 and sort of having this remarkable kind of comeback season, bounce back season in, in, in 2021, and then navigating a draft that had them picking Morgan Weaver and Sophia Smith. So that 2020 was perhaps 
always going to be a bit of a, a building year for them, but they didn't really get that because of what the 2020 Challenge Cup ended up being and, and ultimately the fall series where they came out the victors. They came out as winners of that community seal. So com- coming into 2021 to start off this sort of year with, hey, I'm actually not going to be here. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, that could that could rock a boat in a way that you know deters a team to to be perhaps not be as successful as they were but that's not the case for Parson and his 2021 Thorns side they have gone on this year to win everything in sight no matter what it has been <laughs> whether it was a 2020 Challenge Cup whether it was uh, an exhibition-esque type of tournament in the Women's ICC uh, Cup and winning that there and then now winning the the full season 2021 uh, shield award and then you know there's just like so many things that were in front of them this year but they went through so there were times this season where uh there was a little bit of dual responsibility right having to go and, and be with netherlands during international windows but this is a team that parsons built and constructed to sort of have this payoff in 2021 to sort of put together the results that they were able to do this season. So even without them, even like maybe having the struggles to win, but still not faltering in their play, still having, you know, being able to pick up draws instead of a win or a loss, you know, or being able to sort of continue to show, you know, that, that, conti- that continuity and showing off their depth of their squad is, is very, very impressive. So, uh, you know, the utilization of, of Salem and Rodriguez sort of in the midfield is that something that's been integral to their success this year. You know, we're, we're watching the continued development of Bella Bixby, of so- Sophia Smith and, and Morgan Weaver, and that, that has earned them all call-ups to the national team, you know, and this has all sort of been under the era of Mark Parsons. So whether it's a combination of sort of looking at all of the things that have built up to 21, or even just if we're narrowing it down to 21, uh, 2021, I, I still think Parsons has the the best uh, case in this one. And that's why I also am, am going with him for, uh, for coach of the year. For rookie of the year, we have another scenario where we have to take a look at three candidates only. So we're going to go uh, with this one. Emily Fox for Racing Louisville FC, Victoria Pickett for Kansas City Current, and Trinity Rodman for Washington Spirit. Before we get into the picks, because I get to go first in this one, but <laughs> I want to pitch you a question before I give my pick. Similar to how you did with the goalkeeper, if there were other rookies that you can throw into this class, Lisa, who are you looking at? Oh, that's a good question. That's a tricky question. Um I think someone, I mean, when I look at Kansas City Current, they had a number of rookies. I think Kiki Pickett did a really nice job this year as well, but she didn't really get into her groove until later in the season. Um, I, I Looking at the candidates that they already have, Emily Fox, Victoria Pickett, Trinity Rodman, I mean, really good picks, right? Like these were people that, uh, and, and players that the league and fans were talking about early on when they were in college and saying, hey, they're going to come into this league. Um, I think I think they did make pretty big impacts in, in what happened here. What about you? Who do you want? Who else do you want to see on this list? I think there would have been a case for Tatum Malazzo, honestly. Yeah. Chicago Red Stars. I mean, this is somebody who had to slot in during that Olympic stretch, right? And uh, had to slot in during that quarterfinal and uh, made shut some things down, forgot them there. Uh, and that has that was a sort of a being billed as a bit of a high octane kind of attack. And maybe having a rookie outside back would have been something that perhaps a coach circles and says, we're going to attack this right away. But uh, Malazzo was really getting involved in the attack uh, during that quarterfinal and help, helping to neutralize some things. Um, so she she was someone who had a pretty strong maybe half of a season, but maybe mm-hmm. that comes into play when we're looking at bodies of, of work, right? So yeah. Um, for for these for for this particular group, these three, Emily Fox, Victoria Pickett, Trini Rodman, I think it's a solid group. But I think there's a, a pretty big runaway here for a lot of people, and I think it's Trinity Rodman that is my pick in this one. Just so impressive of a first year in the league, which quite frankly, not a lot of people, I'll throw myself included, uh, weren't too sure if that was going to be the case for for this player because this was a young young player who declared for the draft at 18. Uh, before even setting a foot 
and a college pitch, you know, had had already done, like has settled things out with Washington State, was going to play there collegiately, but then made the decision to go pro. So there was a bit of a narrative, a bit of a storyline that seemed like, well, who's going to take this very young player that doesn't have a ton of experience, but could have a very, very high ceiling and continue to take on a player as a developmental player? Because when you get a player like that, you you have to sort of make a commitment to continue their growth and development, right? So it ended up being uh, the spirit. It ended up being a little bit of maybe a, a high high risk and obviously what's become high reward because this is a player who had a phenomenal lights out 2021 season, played 20, 23 games, 20 starts right throughout that regular season, absolutely became a staple in that attack uh, with somebody like Ashley Sanchez and Ashley Hatch uh, tied the league in assists, you know, for, for six, put together uh, some, some goals of her own uh, six that all came from inside of the box. Um, and she was the, the team leader and in expected assists with like three point point seven. So it's a, uh, it was a delight just sort of watching her play this season and also like a bit of a pleasant surprise because it was sort of like week in and week out. It just sort of felt like this player kept showing new parts of her game to the audience that was viewing. So uh, it was very, very impressive. And it was even more impressive to sort of see her get into kind of big game scenarios. Right. Mm -hmm. And not be intimidated by the sort of pressure of that moment. Right. Which is another thing that could sometimes maybe differentiate, right. The rookies from the, from the veterans. And it didn't look like that uh, for, for Trini Grabman, even maybe she's a player. You can argue that there are moments where she can be easily frustrated. Right. But watching her sort of play over the course of a 90 minutes and sort of get out of that space and then deliver, has, has, has been a delight. So she's absolutely my pick for, for Rookie of the Year. Trinity Rodman is my pick too. Um, like you said, I think a runaway for a lot of candidates. It's interesting you touched on um, a, a bit of her immaturity, not in a bad way, in actually a really good way in being a rookie in this league that teams could frustrate her and, and force her to commit fouls and draw yellow cards. Um, but as she progressed throughout the season, she grew. And I think that's what makes a rookie a really good candidate for rookie of the year. Because yes, you can come in and be really good, but if you're not getting better and you're not learning and you are not growing into the professional game throughout your first season, you shouldn't be rookie of the year. Um, and Trinity Rodman did exactly that. She was the youngest player drafted in the NWSL at 18 years old. Uh, so hello, the rookiest of all the rookies. Um, and there was a lot of hype surrounding her entrance coming into this league and what she was going to do and her name and everything like that and everything she had done previously in her career. Um, but I think she produced five goals league bleeding tied for assist with six. Um, and she was consistent in what she did on the pitch. Um, she grew, but she was consistent. So it's, it, it, there weren't a lot of games where we were like, wow, Trinity Rodman really didn't show up. No, she showed up and she did what she could day in and day out. And it's her effort and her work rate off the ball too, that really shown, especially as a forward, um, playing, doing high press, getting back on defense, putting pressure on other teams. And, and her vision of the field got better throughout the season. Her ability to want to find the space, to find the space, and then to be able to attack the space um, and take on defenders. That girl is fearless. And it's so fun. It is so fun to watch a rookie that plays much bigger than herself. For sure, I give this to Trinity Rodman, Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I'm with you on that. The six goals, like I said, the six goals coming from in, inside the yeah. box. So just a testament to her fearlessness a little bit, not afraid to kind of take defenders uh, 1v1. I think if I had to pick a runner-up for this one, it'd probably be Emily Fox. Yeah, me too. Um, that, that might be the, the closest, right, in terms of kind of a breakout rookie year in terms of rating success. Um, but um, not not too surprising that this is the one that we're also kind of uh, agreeing on. Uh, let's 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 go with with the big one, the final one. MVP most valuable player. Let's take a look at the candidates. It is Jess Fishlock for Oil Rain, Ashley Hatch for Washington Spirit, Mallory Pugh for Chicago Red Stars, Margaret Purse for New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC, and Angela Salem for Portland Thorns FC. A lot of candidates here, all five of them. I think, again, as we've been going through all of these, 
arguments can be made uh, for each of them. I'm going to let you go first uh, with with the picks, Lisa, but I want to preface this a, a little bit uh, before we both go into it. Uh, prior to writing a piece about my own picks and, and, and the ballots and how those things work, I also did a piece for CBS Sports about how this season has been very unique, uh, that this was a season that perhaps more than any other season was could be it could be a time in a reflection which the MVP doesn't automatically equal the Golden Boot winner. Mm -hmm. um, the finishing this year has been not the best, right? But again, I always go back to the fact that like, hey, this is a regular season for the first time in a couple of years. Didn't have one in 2020. The last time any of these players played in a regular season kind of format was in 2019. There was 108 matches the last time there was a regular season and there were 2.61 goals scored per match. Uh, and there were 172 goals scored through 86 games, which kind of put, uh, you know, a little bit of a two goal per match kind of, kind of ratio there. So I just, the, it just wasn't, it just wasn't all, all there. Right. So I'm just a little curious as to, how this will shake out with the final voting with everyone involved. Cause again, it's 50% players, it's 20% owners, coaches, GMs, uh, it's 20% media and it is 10% uh, fans is as well. Um, so there's a lot of, I like on this list that there are a lot of different candidates. Mm -hmm. There is the golden boot winner in Ashley Hatch. There's a couple of other attacking players, but there's also a couple middies in this one. So I'm, I'm excited to, to hear uh, your case for, for MVP and why. Not just midfielders on this list, defensive players in Angela Salem. That is like so fantastic to see. And and yes, always plug your articles on CBSSports.com. She's a fantastic writer. Go read them all. And, and one thing that you did touch on is that it's not going to be the golden boot winner. And I think that as we came down to the final weeks of the regular season, you could see that the golden boot race was so close. And that's because and no one player was running away with 15 goals on the season. It was all really close at eight, nine, and then Hatch snuck in there at the, at the end and got her 10th goal to be the winner. But because of that, um, it showed that there was so many other players on the field doing a lot of work. Um, I, I liked the candidates that we had for MVP. I did. I didn't have a gripe with any of them. Um, so that's what I'm going to say first. Mallory Pugh, a really good player that came in. Um, I think Ashley Hatch being the golden boot winner. Um, I'll start with her golden boot winner. Yeah, she had a good season and a good year. I don't think MVP candidate. I mean, MVP is someone that like you take them off the field and everything kind of crumbles and falls apart. I don't really think that was Hatch, especially because Trinity Rodman, as we just concluded on rookie, our rookie of the year. Uh, so because of that, Hatch kind of off the table for me, um, more of a group effort there with Washington Spirit. I love that Angela Salem was thrown into this mix because she is a player that really is the glue for Portland Thorns. I I almost wanted to pick her and I liked what she did for this team, um, but she had other players around her that could help. I think Rocky Rodriguez also contributed a lot to the midfield of Portland Thorns um, coming in and out throughout the entirety of this season. Um, so it's not Angela Salem, not going to pick her. Um, ultimately, I, I think Jess Fishlock is the MVP. Um, she is a player that can play on both sides of the ball. She brings everything together for O.L. Reign. Five goals, four assists on the season can keep O.L. Reign in really, really really tight matches, whether it's defensively getting back behind the ball, breaking up opponents, transitional movements, or taking the ball herself and creating. Um, and to be that playmaker that can do all of those things, stop to make really big defensive stops and then also make really big attacking plays. That's an MVP to me, someone that can take the entire team on their back and say, let's go. When a new coach comes in after the Olympics and half of your team was gone, half of your team are now gold medal Olympians. The other half are bronze medal. The other half are sad because they didn't make the roster. Um, Jess Fishlock is the player that said, Hey, we're going to come together and we're going to do this as a team. Laura Harvey, I was with you in 2013 and 2017 here in Seattle. Let me show you what we've been doing. Let's, let's kind of bring this all together. A player that can connect everyone on the team from the coaching staff to the goalkeepers, to the front line, to the midfielders, to the defenders. Um, and you know that Laura Harvey was leaning on Jess Fishlock when she arrived back. Um, 
So that to me is why Jess Fishlock stands out above all of these other candidates. And so that's who I pick. That's who I think should win MVP, Jess Fishlock. I love that. I love that. But you know what? When I Did I convince about- you to change your mind oh, on your Almost. Pen? Almost. <laughs> and you know, and you know what? It's not hard. It's not hard for me because it's so funny when when we're I'm talking about like some of the, the pieces that I wrote during that that piece about why maybe it shouldn't be the golden boot winner. I also threw out some candidates, you know, who maybe were some dark horse kind of nominees. And I talked about a lot of midfield. I, I mentioned Andy Sullivan, who was not on this list. I mentioned Jess Fishhawk and I, mes- I mentioned Morgan Gattrall, that these were midfielders that I just sort of felt could have been in the mix and in the running for this MVP candidate list. And when it rolled out, I absolutely love that there were players like Jess Fishlock and Angela Selimon there. And, and I'm with you with a lot of parts of this. I ended up not going with Fishlock as this pick because I'm also in agreement with you about the sort of criteria that should be met when it comes to MVP. It's it's most valuable player. And I look at that holistically. I don't just look at it directly to the team. I look at it as a whole. It's MVP of the league. Yeah. So some of the things that I'm looking at is, yes, I'm in 100% of agreement with you. If that player is removed from their team, does the team falter a bit? Do they struggle on the pitch and perhaps throughout the duration of whenever that player is missing. That's a huge component for it. But there's also things like their overall form that come into play. Um, You know, appearances play a factor to me. How consistent of a season did these uh, particular candidates have? And I also like to throw in a hypothetical. My hypothetical is of the candidates, would perhaps a non-playoff team, one of your direct competitors, ever make a push for your services? And I really do believe that the 2021 candidates meet all of that criteria in every way, shape or form. I I definitely think that there's a few non-playoff teams right now who would look at somebody like a Jess Fishlock or an Angela Salem, a veteran midfielder, you know, who could absolutely sort of bolster up any midfielder, uh, uh, any middle third for any of those teams. So, um, even with the attackers as well, I absolutely believe that there are non-playoff teams that would, love to have the services of somebody like a Margaret Burris or an Ashley Hatch or, or a Mallory Pugh. So I love that when I'm presenting these types of criteria for myself and going through a vote, that all of the candidates that are present tend to meet all of those. So it was a struggle, maybe settling on on one or the other, but I'm, I'm with you on Fishlock, and that is my runner-up. That is not my pick. I'm actually going with Mallory Pugh. And this you had one, us all hanging on first. there, hanging on like a thread that you were going to I got I to keep, keep you wanting more, uh, but I'm going with Mel Pugh in this one. I, I mean, I wrote it and I mean, that might not be shocking for some people who prefer their content and to, to read it versus listening to it. Uh, but in case you didn't, it's, it's already out there. Um, I just feel that, you know, Chicago has been this sort of historically been what's considered, I guess, like a top tier team, a team that has typically finished in the top four of the standings uh, over the last six years now uh, as they partic- as they participated in their uh, playoffs in, in 2021. Um, but Mal Pugh checked off a lot of those boxes, I think more than, um, than any other player of the, of the candidate. And, and it's for, she was doing all this for the Chicago Red Stars who are really, they're still looking for that kind of production in the final third. They've always sort of had kind of this breakout individual top tier sort of four, whether it was during their Kristen Press era or it was during their Sam Kerr era. And they're still sort of looking for the answer to what their attack is. And in a 2021 season where the finishing has not been great across the board, this was a player that was sort of putting in a very relentless work week and we were watching her work rate on the pitch. And it eventually very slowly started to turn into some results, picking up uh, picking up four goals, picking up uh, the, the assist, and also this is this is uh, this player has been in the league since mid 2017. Made her arrival via the Washington Spirit and has had to sort of navigate a certain amount of injuries. And this is sort of her first kind of consistently healthy mm-hmm. season. And I think people started to see what a consistently healthy Mal Pugh could possibly bring on the pitch 
within the final third. So, yeah, she made 23 starts for this team over 24 regular season appearances, right? She led the team in expected assists in, in 5.46. But she also has a very strong defensive work rate for this team as well. It's a Chicago Red Stars team that sort of that's part of their culture. They 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 are braggadocious about their defense, and that includes your attackers. Uh, so her ability to also win the ball has been huge. Uh, yeah. Has 136 recoveries for the Red Stars, and that's the most of any forward on the team uh, that year. So so couple that with the with the four goals and, and the four assists, um, and obviously the biggest one that she had against the you know that quarterfinal against Gotham, I thought was very very big, and. Um, I think that there's a number of candidates that this can go to, but for you, it's going to be Fishlock, and for me, it's going to be Pew. Uh, do we want to humor uh, a best 11 to close it out, Lisa? Sure. Sandra, why don't you hit me with yours? I went with Casey Murphy, Didasco, Gordon, Mangas, and Klingenberg for the back line. Angela Salem, Jess Fishlock, Morgan Gatra for the midfield, and I went with Mallory Pugh, Hatch, and Margaret Purse for the top line for my best 11. Is there anyone you would change? Uh, hit me with yours again. Uh, Casey Murphy for goalkeeper. Would you change anything there? No. Caprice Didasco, Sarah Gordon, Emily Mangas, Megan Klingenberg for the back line. Would you change anything there? No. Um, no. I like Caprice Didasco there. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then for my midfield, I had uh, Angela Salem, Jess Fishlock, and Morgan Gatra. Would you change anything there? Yes, I would throw in like an alley long. I'd probably yeah. take out um, Gatral. Yeah, that's fair. It's a great season, honestly. He had a great season. Uh, and the forward line, I had uh, Pew, Hatch, and Purse. Who do you want to see in the forward Ooh, line? Ooh, I like Pew. Um, I like Hatch. I think we have to put Hatch in there. I'm not going to put Purse in there. I don't okay. know. I just don't think... Um, best 11 though. I mean, you can always mix it up. You don't have to agree. So tricky. Um, what about Trinity Rodman? She had a fantastic season. So who are you taking out? So you're going Hatch, Rodman, Pew? I'm doing, no, I'm doing Pew, Hatch, and Lesomer. Oh, like that. That's good. I'm I'm excited to see that. I'm actually excited to see once uh, the finalization of everything sort of comes out, uh, who made the sort of best and second 11s. I think those are always uh, kind of fun. Uh, the NWSL is also awarding the inaugural Nationwide Community Impact Award. That's going to be presented at halftime of the 2021 NWSL Championship match. Uh, fans were allowed to participate in that award. Uh it, it turns out that it went to OL Rain, and they will be presented with their award. So stick around for the halftime to take a look at that. And MVP will be announced post-game on-field presentation. So it's going to be an exciting, exciting time. Still, uh, make sure you tune in to the championship, which is going to be on November 20th, Lynn Family Stadium in Louisville, Kentucky. 12 noon Eastern time. It's going to air on CBS and internationally on Twitch. Get your tickets if you haven't already at nwslsoccer.com slash championship i want to thank everybody for listening as always another reminder to follow us on twitter at attacking third we're on apple podcast spotify stitcher anywhere you listen to your podcast shows if you leave us a five-star review on apple podcast with a question lisa and i will answer during our moment and we're also available as video so subscribe to us on youtube at youtube.com slash attacking third for sandra and lisa roman this was attacking third.